Sounds like I know the answer to this question for JR already, but uh, how many of you are going to watch the Super Bowl this afternoon? <laughs> Anyone going to watch the Super Bowl? Uh, now, let me ask you, if you're going to watch the Super Bowl, what are you more interested in, the game or the commercials? Uh, I know a lot of people, uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, Kinsey says the commercials. Uh, a lot of people watch it for the commercials or for the halftime show. But I'm one that actually watches it for the game. Sometimes I go to Super Bowl parties, which we don't have our, our big Super Bowl parties this year. But um, uh, people will be talking and not paying attention during the game. And then the commercial will come on and everybody's tuned in. I'm like, you guys got it backwards here. Uh, but the commercials are funny and, uh, and, uh, and they're entertaining. But maybe what really gets your attention is the Super Bowl snacks. Now you're talking my language, all right? <laughs> the little we, the, those little smokies and the chicken wings and the nachos, it's all good. But what, like I said, I, I love the, of the game itself. And the intriguing storyline of this year's uh, Super Bowl is the, match, is the matchup between the two quarterbacks. So you got Patrick Mahomes for the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, okay, we got a couple Chiefs fans here. And... Uh, and, he may, and some say he'll go down as the, eventually he has the potential to go down as the greatest uh, football player ever. But then on the other side, you've got uh, Tom Brady, who's already considered the, the GOAT, the greatest of all time. This is his 10th Super Bowl. Uh, and he, went, he won six Super Bowls with the New England Patriots. And now this year he plays for the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, when you think of uh, Tom Brady... You would think, in terms of success, this guy has it all, right? He's got six Super Bowl rings. He's got more rings than he has uh, fingers on one hand. He's got six Super Bowl rings going for his seventh today. He's got a beautiful wife at home and kids and more money than you could ever imagine. And yet I heard this interview with Tom Brady a few years ago, and I'll play uh, a little clip here. This is, this is what Tom Brady said. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings? And do we have the clip? Otherwise, I will summarize. Okay, I mean, I, here we go. Maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is me. I thank God. It's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be what it's all cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27. And what else is there for me? What's the answer? I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Now, I, I appreciate his honesty there. And uh, he says, it's got to be more than this. There's got to be more than just uh, winning and losing. He says, I've reached the pinnacle. People would say, I've got it all. He says, uh, there's got to be more than this. And then uh, the, interview asks, the interviewer asks him, uh, yeah, what is it? What do you think it, think it is? And he says, I wish I knew. I wish I knew, but, but he's right. Life has got to be more than just winning and losing and being successful. It's got to be more than just even, uh, than even uh, just having a good time and being happy. Uh, th and, he, and, they're, and we're right. It's got to be more than this. But what is truly life all about? What is going to, more than anything, satisfy the desires of our heart? the longing of our heart. That's what Tom Brady's getting at here. 
He's saying there's got to be more than this. There's got to be something that's going to satisfy the longings of my heart. And with that question in mind, I'm intrigued for us to look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego once more. Uh, Because when we look at their lives, there seems to be some meaning there. There's, a, there's an impe- appealing integrity there to their lives where they have found something not only worth living for, but worth dying for. Like, that's attractive to me, that they have found something in their lives that they're, they're, they're willing to say, I'm willing to give my life for that. That's, that's so important to me. And so we've been with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego now for over a month. And so this morning, we're going to kind of step out from the trees and look at the forest Like we've looked at the details of their life enough that we're going to get the big picture uh, for a moment. And what we're going to see in their lives are certain key ingredients, so to speak, certain key characteristics that provide meaning for their lives that we can apply to our lives that provide a meaningfulness to our lives. And the first thing I would want us to know as we look at the big picture of their lives is that they recognize and renounce the culture's myths. Okay, they recognize and renounce the culture's myths. In their culture, just like uh, in our culture today, there are expected values that that simply could not deliver what they promised. The golden image that we read about in uh, Daniel chapter 3 represents not just an image that people would bow down to. It represents the culture's values. This image is to represent the kingdom's success and its power and its influence in the world that, uh, during that day. It stood over 90 feet tall. It's a huge statue uh, for, uh, on purpose because it represents something powerful and big. It's covered in gold. It's meant to look beautiful and attractive. And then the command is to come that all are to bow down to it. And not just to pay homage to the statue itself, not just to worship the statue, but to give allegiance to what the statue represented. The power and the success and the strength that is there. The, the statue is made to look like the king, it's, uh, the king himself, King Nebuchadnezzar so that all may be able to be aligned with these cultures, these cultures' values. And in a similar way, we have something going on in our world today. It's almost expected that we bow down to the culture's values. And if we go against what seems to be the standard, then uh, we'll, be, we'll be looked upon as weirdos. But the, but the reality is, if we can recognize what's really going on we would be wise to renounce it because it cannot provide what it promises it cannot actually uh, satisfy the longings of our hearts and that's what it promotes the to find peace and and joy and happiness and and meaning in life it cannot deliver In Daniel chapter 3, verse 1, it says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high, that's 90 feet tall and 6 cubits wide, and set it on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Jumping down, verse 5, As soon as you hear the sound of the 
horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music. You must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And everyone conforms to the king's command. But there are three uh, men that stand out like a sore thumb on the plains of Dura. Everyone else has their face bowed to the ground. And here are these three men that uh, stand up and noticed by all. Verse 12, it says, Some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. You see, to serve and to worship is really at the heart of the command to, to uh, bow down to the statue. It is to conform to the, what the culture uh, values as great. Now, idols, uh, and this was idol worship, plain and simple. Idols are false things or people that we give our utmost attention to and organize our lives around. But they are myths because they cannot provide what they promise. They promise to satisfy our heart's longings and to give meaning to our lives, but they can't. The idol in uh, Daniel 3 was a golden image. Now, the command to worship this golden image was forceful. And the idolatry that we see here is blatant and obvious. And we don't have that, those type of idols in our culture today. But make no, uh, but be sure, but, but know for sure that we do live in a culture that is dominated by idol worship. And the problem with our idols is that they are more subtle and more attractive. You know, as I said, many of you will watch the Super Bowl today, not for the game, but for the commercials. And the commercials are funny and they're entertaining. Uh, but just to be serious about it for a moment, there are messages hidden in the commercials that point to our culture's values. They, they paint a picture of how great it would be to have a certain item or to have a certain lifestyle or to be surrounded by a, a certain group of friends. And the appeals are subtle and attractive because they, and they tap into the lusts in our own heart and into our pride and into our self-centeredness. But they cannot deliver on what they promise because they cannot truly satisfy the longings of our hearts. Rebecca McLaughlin, I've been reading a book by her, and, uh, and I'll give a quote here because I think it is so applicable for what we're talking about right now. Uh, Rebecca says, I'm routinely tempted to believe that something or someone else is in fact my life. I look to the things I desire to fill me up, and those things, those people, can feel so real compared to the impossible God who calls me to crucify my desires and throw myself into his arms. And like I said, I think she nails it on the head. True joy and freedom are found only in a relationship with God, with a God who loves us more than, what we, than we could even grasp. And so if you are to embrace anything in your life, Embrace your relationship with God. And if you are to throw off anything, if you are to uh, renounce anything, renounce the culture's miss. And so this is the first key to a meaningful life. 
to recognize the things that will actually not give us meaning, to recognize and renounce all of the idols and the myths in our culture. And now the first one actually, I think, flows into the second one. And the reason I think it flows into the second one is because uh, the first one is so pervasive, so weighty, so attractive that, they, that uh, our culture's myths cannot be bat- battled on, by oneself. Everyone, needs to, everyone seeking to live a life for God needs strong Christian relationships. And so that's going to be the, the uh, second key for a meaningful life. What we see in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is that they commit to strong Christian relationships. Now, obviously, they're not called Christians because they live before the time of Christ. But what, but what we see in their lives is what we long for as Christians in our lives, and that is that close relationship with one another. One of the things I've noticed as we've been studying Daniel chapter 3 is never, uh, not, not in one place, are any of these three men uh, singled, singled out uh, individually? They're always together as a whole. Never once does one personality emerge, but our three friends are one unit together. They speak to the king together. They stand on the plains of Dura together. They're together. And so when they're brought before the king, this is how they speak, Daniel 3.16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into a blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us by uh, your majesty, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Now, could these three men have stood and resisted the command to bow by themselves? Uh, could they have spoken these bold words to the king if, if one of them stood there by themselves? Well, we're speculating. We don't know. But I do, but I do have confidence that they drew strength from one another. And that is so important for us to recognize as well. You see, given this time that we're in uh, where, it is, where we are so isolated right now, because of the pandemic, we've been, we've been forced for months, going on a year, just to kind of stick to ourselves as much as possible, that we could be in danger of forgetting the importance of community. We could be in danger of, of thinking, you know what, I'm going to just... Uh, live this Christian life kind of all by myself, and I'll just, uh, I'll just uh, do my online thing at home, and, and I will uh, get by that way. I want us to recognize, like, we've done this only out of necessity. This is not the way that it is supposed to be. From the very first uh, days after Jesus ascended into to, uh, heaven, the church uh, began to gather together in people's homes. Why? Because God has created us to live with strong Christian relationships. Now, I'm not, I'm not here to lay a guilt trip by any means. Like, I'm the one that's, uh, you know, I, we've, we've done this as a leadership. We're, we're uh, seeking to be as uh, careful as we can. But we need to recognize, like, Zoom meetings are not as good as face-to-face. And, uh, and we'll, we'll continue to have Zoom meetings for some things because it's proven to be helpful. 
But we've got to recognize that when we can, when it is safe, we need to come back together. Like that's the way that God has created us to live. You know, in the first century, you know, I spoke of the early church. Right away, they were scattered all throughout and, and beyond the Roman Empire and beyond because of persecution. But one of the first things they did wherever they ended up was they found other believers and they began to gather together. Now, even in the first century, there was a temptation for them to stop meeting together. And Hebrews 10 gives them a challenge and it gives us a challenge as well. Verse 25 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. That's an important verse for us to hear today. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Now again, I'm not, you, you know, I'm not here to, uh, I'm not by any means uh, saying that we need to be careless all i'm emphasizing is that it is good for us to cultivate strong christian friendships and relationships and that's done better in person than it is online and so when it's able, when we are able and we're going to use every means possible and from now until then to have uh, uh, meetings virtually and in every other way uh, as meaningful as possible. But when it is possible, we should gather together again. One of the great advantages of the Christian church that we have over everyone else is the meaningfulness of our relationships. Where else are people going to meet and, encourage, and be encouraged to be vulnerable and honest with one another? The scriptures uh, teach us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. I know in, uh, in, in a lot of my circle of friends and relationships, when I gather together, uh, we try to put on the best front possible and say and pretend like we have it all together. That's not the picture of the church. This is the one place where we come and we're really at, how are you really doing? And you can be honest and share your emotions and and be truthful with one another. Where else are we going to be taught to love one another unconditionally? Where else are we going to be able to develop the depth of relationship like we have here at the church? I recently heard someone say that as Christians, we must double down on on one of our most important advantages, and that is our relationships and our community with one another. And he pointed out that today people have more information at their disposal than they ever have in the history of the world. And, and, yet, uh, they, and yet the statistics show that people, are, that people are more dissatisfied and longing in their, in their lives than, than ever before. See, what we're, not, what we're craving is not more information. What we're craving is relationships. And while we can have a lot of connections online, and you can have thousands of followers on Instagram or or Twitter or whatever, you can have thousands of friends on Facebook, uh, social media oftentimes leaves us feeling like we're missing out and not connected with others. 
And so we want to recognize that for a meaningful life, we need strong, deep relationships. And I would add strong Christian relationships. Because uh, where else are you going to be pointed to the person who can really uh, satisfy the longings of your heart, to Jesus himself? It is only with strong Christian friendships. Okay, so those are the first two uh, keys to a, a meaningful life. One, to recognize and renounce the culture's myths. Two, to develop strong Christian relationships. And now the third one is the most important. This is the one that we see uh, all over Daniel 3. And that is, for a meaningful life, we must worship and serve God alone. Five times in Daniel 3, it says that uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego worship and served God alone. Five times it repeats this. This is the theme of the, the chapter. And more than anything, our determination to worship and serve God alone is what brings meaning to our life as well. If I was to be able to sit down and be the interviewer for Tom Brady and he were to express those sentiments that we listened to at the beginning of this sermon, this is what I would want to emphasize more than anything. A life that has meaning is a life that is dedicated to the Lord both now and forevermore. At the end of the chapter, King Nebuchadnezzar says it better than even Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are able to say. He says in verse 28, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angels and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's commands and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god my son dawson is a sports fan he's got his kansas city Chiefs shirt on today and uh and i guarantee if you walk by our house this afternoon you'll be hearing hooping and hollering for patrick mahomes but even more than watching uh sports he loves to play sports and uh, he takes it really serious. He tries really hard. And uh, he's a good little athlete. But I have to uh, remind him, a thousand years from now, nobody's going to care what your batting average is. And a thousand years from now, nobody's going to care how many baskets you scored in a game. The only things that will really matter a thousand years from now are the things that are done for the Lord. Now, that's easy for me to tell my 10-year-old son but it's just as easy for me to forget in my own life. If we are to, if I am to impress upon us, in, uh, all of us this morning, anything it is that we would give our attention to the things that will matter a thousand years from now. And the on, only the things done in worship and service to the Lord are the things that are going to bring meaning in the long term and the short term. What's ironic is when we store up treasures in heaven, it actually satisfies the longings of our heart in the here and the now. You see, a life that is lived in service for God actually brings meaning and purpose into our lives. As I think about a life that is uh, dedicated to the Lord like this, I think of the idea of being on fire for God. And I thought of... of that idea of being on fire for God when I read about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown into a blazing furnace. And we, lo and we looked at last week about how they were not burned physically, but spiritually they were on fire for God. 
And so this morning, just to uh, uh, drive home this point, I'm going to uh, create a little fire for us. And uh, I've got some kindling in here, and I've got um, some wood that is hopefully pretty dry because I don't have time to stoke this fire. And uh, so hopefully this is, uh, but just to make sure this is going to work, I'm going to put some lighter fluid on it, all right? Because uh, I really don't want this to be, uh, this illustration to be a flop. And uh, so just to uh, put some lighter fluid on this. This lighter fluid's probably really old. This was lighter fluid that was in my house when I bought my house 10 years ago. So, uh, But believe me, I have barbecues all the time, and it still works. Uh, so this this will burn, and um, I have hopefully pulled this away from the church. Is it if if we have an accident here, then it's going to be a really memorable sermon. And uh, um, but really, what I want is I just I do this physical illustration because I want us to get a picture in our minds of uh, what it would really be like to be on fire for God. And uh, like I said, there's some key ingredients that go into this fire. I've got some uh, leaves down here and some dry wood, and I I took the advantage of using some uh, lighter fluid. And now this morning, as as we look at this uh, fire that uh, burns in this fire pit, Uh, I just want us to recognize that there is something uh, always that is so attractive and captivating by watching a a campfire. There's something beautiful about that. Have you ever noticed when you go camping, you can just kind of gaze into the flames that dance in the wood for hours. And there is something very attractive and captivating about a life that is on fire for God. There is uh, something that is so meaningful and and valuable about a life that is lived in integrity, totally focused on the Lord. And And there is surely several ingredients that go into a life like that. But the characteristics that we've uh, considered this morning is that uh, if we fill our lives, uh, sorry, Rosemary, where you you. Uh, you might want to move back because uh, we're getting a breeze. Uh, again, again, I'm sorry, but uh, uh, just to just to emphasize, like a life that is lived on fire for God will be a life that recognizes and uh, renounces the culture's myths. When we recognize that uh, the things of this world will not satisfy, it. It stirs our heart to be on fire for God. Uh, if, we, if we put into, the, into our lives the ingredient of a strong Christian relationships, it's going to help us to cultivate a, a fire for God because we need relationships that are going to challenge us to be more like Christ, that are going to encourage us in our relationship with God, that are going to hold us accountable, that are people that we're going to be able to pray with and and people that are going to pray for us. You see, that's a key ingredient for having a fire and a passion for God. And then thirdly, and most importantly, it uh, it is to stoke within our lives 
a determination to worship and serve God alone. You see, there's more ingredients that we could put into this, uh, re- into our relationship with God. But these are the three that we're emphasizing this morning, three that I think are crucial to renounce and uh, to recognize and renounce the culture's myths, to cultivate strong Christian relationships, and to determine in our minds the, uh, the desire to worship and serve God alone. My prayer for all of us is ultimately that we would have a fire for God because that's what what leads to a meaningful life in in this world. As we um, think about the football game this afternoon, I I know a joke, okay? Uh, Someone uh, once uh, asked me, or the joke is, uh, what is a football game? And, and the punchline of the joke is a football game is thousands of people badly of need, need of exercise sitting on their butts watching 11 men badly in need of rest running their butts off. And uh, that's a football game. But I was thinking about uh, uh, all the training that the football players who will play in this game went to this afternoon. They've trained all year. They've really trained their whole lifetimes uh, for this one game. And I'm reminded of what uh, Paul says in 1 Timothy 4.8. He says, For physical training is of some value. Physical training is of some value. But godliness holds promise both for the life to come, both for the present life, and the life to come. You see, if we are to train ourselves for anything, train ourselves for godliness, because it brings meaning not only to the life to come, but it brings meaning in our present life as well. The life that is lived in worship and service to God is what our hearts long for. That's what we've been created. We've been created to live in relationship with one another, and we've been uh, created to live in relationship with our Heavenly Father. And through Jesus Christ, we have, that, we have opened the way that we can live uh, meaningful lives. And so that's my prayer for all of us, that we would be able to live uh, on fire for God. As I said, uh, the way to open up the relationship with God is through Jesus' uh, death and resurrection on the uh, and uh, his death is on the cross is what we remember every time we take the Lord's Supper together, being that this is the last, uh, this is the first Sunday of the month. It is our tradition to uh, take communion together. When Jesus went to the cross, it was because he loved us so much. It was because he wanted to have a relationship with us. In fact, it was because he wanted to lead us away from a path of meaninglessness into a path of meaningfulness. His body was broken and his blood was shed so that we could live into the full potential that he has for us.
It was sin that, uh, that damaged not only our relationship with one another and the peace that was within our hearts, it damaged our relationship with God himself. And so when Jesus went to the cross, it was to pay the penalty of not just sins in general, it was to pay the penalty of your sins and my sins. When we get a picture of Jesus hanging on the cross, may it be a picture of love uh, because of how much he loves you individually. Not just generally or generically. He loves you so much that even if it was just you, he would have died on the cross. And that is what we remember as we take this communion together. God's words uh, says, for, when, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink. God's word goes on to say, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father God, as we uh, gather this morning, whether we gather online or whether we gather here in person, we're captivated by the image of living a life that is on fire for you. And God, we thank you that you have opened the doors for that to be possible, that you've paved the way because of your son, Jesus. And so right now in the sacredness of this moment we confess our sins and ask for your forgiveness and we also dedicate our lives to you and pray that we that you would set our hearts on fire for you that we could live worship and serve you alone we pray this in jesus name amen